The Lord said to Moses, speak to the people of Israel that they take for me a contribution. From every man whose heart moves him, you shall receive the contribution for me. And this is the contribution that you shall receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue and purple and scarlet yarns and fine twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ramskins, goat skins, acacia wood, oil for the lamps, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, onyx stones and stones for setting for the ephod and for the breastpiece. And let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furnitures, so you shall make it. They shall make an ark of acacia wood, two cubits and a half shall be its length, a cubit and a half its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold, inside and outside you shall overlay it, and you shall make on it a moulding of gold around it. You shall cast four rings of gold for it and put them on its four feet, two rings on the one side of it and two rings on the other side of it. You shall make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and you shall put the poles into the rings on the side of the ark to carry the ark by them. The poles shall remain in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And you shall put into it into the ark the testimony that I shall give you. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length, and a cubit and a half its breadth. And you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub of the one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The, ter- the cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings, their faces one to another. Towards the mercy seat shall the faces of the cherubim be. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark, and in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you, and from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I give you in commandment for the people of Israel. You shall make a table of acacia wood, two cubits shall be its length, a cubit its breadth, and a cubit and a half its height. You shall overlay it with pure gold and make a moulding of gold around it, and you shall make a rim around it, a hand breadth wide, and a moulding of gold around the rim. And you shall make for it four rings of gold and fasten the rings to the four corners at its four legs. Close to the the frame, the rings shall lie as holders for the poles to carry the table. You shall make the poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold, and the table shall be carried with these. And you shall make its plates and dishes for incense and its flagons and bowls with which to pour drink offerings, you shall make them of pure gold. And you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. If we've not met, I'm Matt. Good to see you. Good to be uh, together this morning. I wonder if you believe this, uh, this verse in the Bible. Romans chapter 15, verse 4 says, For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Whatever was written, even obscure chapters like these ones. 
Let's pray. Father, we believe uh, that you've told us this is true, that whatever is written uh, in your scriptures for us is for our endurance and encouragement. And so we pray with thanks for the message that you have for us this morning and ask that you would help us to be good listeners. In Jesus' name, amen. So then, for the next 30 minutes, we're going to be talking about uh, furniture and clothing and curtains. And uh, some of you are thinking, fantastic. This is my world. This is the world that I love. You know, I love watching uh, the Antiques Roadshow, Grand Designs, uh, Sort Your Life Out, all of these things. You think, fantastic. This is great. 30 minutes on this is terrific. Uh, Others of us, um, not so much. you were dragged around Ikea yesterday, you thought, I've left it behind on Saturday, and then you turn up on Sunday and more curtains and more furniture. Uh, all of us, whichever way you sit on that, I guess all of us, it's right that we should be wondering, uh, what, does, what does this, um, this bit of God's word, just on the next slide there, Charlie, what is this um, tabernacle on the left, there's a picture of it, what does that have to do with this? Uh, the, the real world that I live in, the world of, of tension and relationships and health issues and the commute to work and the weekly shop. Because God's word is written for our instruction, right? So what does this, what does this tabernacle have to do with the world that you and I live in? And I want to put before us this morning that I think the connection between these things is a very simple word, and it's the word home. It's the word home. So much of our life is an attempt to find home, to make home. Maybe we've never had a happy home. Maybe we're trying to feel at home in a new school or a new job. Maybe we've left home and we're spending all of our time trying to build a new one as a, as a single person, as a married couple, as those trying to um, raise children. We're just trying to create home. And yet you and I know, and this has been our experience this week, that all of the time we try to do that, we find the efforts we put into it are frustrated. M- making home is much harder than we thought. It's, it's an agony uh, often of broken relationships, of, of grief, of, of loss. And into that, into that world, the tabernacle that God speaks of today is all about home. It's about God committing to get his people home. It's about God coming to live with his people as the intention of everything that he does in salvation. It's all about home. And so you might remember, so far in this book of Exodus, we've followed the story of salvation from slavery through judgment There's been blood, there's a call to holiness, the holiness of God, there's his word given out to us. Last week we we had the ascension, you might remember, of Moses the mediator. Uh, The ascension up into the embrace of God as the forerunner for his people with the promise that God would bring us home. But this week I guess the question is, well, okay, Moses is is up on the mountain, he's in the embrace of God, but, but what about us? What about the rest of us? How's God going to get the rest of us home? And the answer that God gives is a sanctuary, is a, is a tabernacle. It will become the, the temple. 
And the message of the, the tabernacle that God has uh, for us today is, is three things, I think. First of all, that God can't dial down his holiness. Second, that sin can be dealt with. And third, there is a way home. It'd be great if you'd just open a Bible to page 78 and just have that in front of you. The, the section we've got before us, page 78, the section we've got before us these, this week is really uh, chapters 25 to 31. We're just not going to be able to cover all of that, but you might want to read and just have your Bible open, flicking around. And, and a key verse is verse 8 of chapter 28, where God says, page 78, verse 8, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So it's clear that God wants to dwell with his people amongst them. But it's also clear that for that to happen, a sanctuary, a temple, a tabernacle is needed. And that is needed, first of all, the tabernacle is needed if God is going to dwell. Because first of all, God can't dial down his holiness. God is holy. That is who he is. That is what he's like. If God were to stop being holy, he would stop being God. And so, you see, he can't dial it down in any way, even as he comes to dwell with his people. And the layout of the tabernacle teaches God's holiness. We've said in previous weeks, it's kind of like a, a flattened version of Mount Sinai. You remember there were levels of holiness at Mount Sinai, and now it's been sort of flattened. It's going to be a portable thing that they carry around. So here's a sort of mobile picture, portable Sinai, that they're going to carry around. And it has these gradations of holiness in it. So there's a, there's a picture of it. Um, I don't quite know who has sort of time and energy to sort of go around producing uh, the tabernacle in the top left. But uh, there we go. There we have it. Although I do know someone who's got, um, done a wonderful job, the time and energy. This was Ems's uh, mobile tabernacle. She was happy for me to show it to you. Um, of, uh, it's in a box at the moment. But if any of you want to go and construct it afterwards, you can. It's got the, the outer court you see made of, of lollipop sticks. It's got the, uh, it's got the curtain. Uh, there with the warriors on, it's all there. So uh, anyone can just uh, make their own one afterwards if you want to just get to know the, the, the way around. But the point is, as you look at this, that there are gradations in holiness. So there's the outer court. Do you see that? As you come through the fence at the bottom there, there's the outer court. And that is where a, an Israelite could come. But only a priest could go through the next section. Uh, through that outer curtain, there's a cutaway of it. And they could go into that, that area, the, the holy place. But only the most high priest could go into that final bit, through the final curtain. Uh, only Aaron, the most uh, high priest, uh, once a year could do that on the Day of Atonement. Just once a year into that final section. So do you see the layout teaches God's holiness? And there are other things in these uh, chapters that teach the, the holiness of God. Just flick over, you'll see that in chapter 28, we get some sections on the priestly garments. And one of the points here, as you, you read that, is, is, is the further you go into the tabernacle, the finer the thread has to be, the more ornate and glorious. So, so there's, uh, there's a picture of the high priest. Um, it's not quite my style. I don't know if it's your style, but... Uh, you know, that, that's, that, that's what he would wear. He would wear on his heart the 12 tribes of Israel represented by 12 
uh, 12 uh, uh, stones of jewels. But a priest on the outside would not wear that. They would have a much plainer uh, outfit. Uh, on the outside, the outer area of the tabernacle, it's, it's goat's hair. The closer you go in, it's blue, it's gold thread. And one day a year, this priest in this clothing would go up to the curtain and through the curtain. There'd be the, uh, the altar of the burning of incense uh, just outside that. So it's a, it's a darkened room. There's some light in it. There's, there's smoke from the altar. Everything is to remind the people of Sinai that we saw in the previous chapters. Sinai with its darkness, with its smoke. The priest had to wear a bell in chapter 28, verse 35, in case he died, so that you could hear it stop moving around and you could you know, work out a way of getting him out of there. God's holiness is not being dialed down at all uh, in this. Everything reminds us of the holiness of God. And as you go through further, you start with bronze items on the outside, but again, when you get to the middle, it's gold. And we're told, and this is the bit that we had read, we're told that there is one item in the most holy place, and it is the Ark of the Covenant. And in verse 16, we're told that in the covenant at this point, there is one item. Verse 16, you shall put into the Ark the testimony that I shall give you. Now, later on, the, the staff of Aaron gets put in there and some manna as well. But at this point, one item, the testimony, the Ten Commandments, quite possibly on two stones and quite possibly the same written uh, on each. So a duplicate version of the law, just like a, a king would make a treaty with someone and you'd give both a copy. Well, so it was uh, here. And from this place, from the law, verse 22, God says, I will speak to you and give you the commandments. Uh, uh, sorry, I will speak uh, um, about all that I will give you in commandments from the people uh, of God. And the design of this uh, ark suggests that this is God's throne on earth. Here is God ruling by his word among his people in his tabernacle. And so you see, as much as the tabernacle is about God coming close and revealing himself, it also conceals there are layers, there are curtains, there are levels, because God can't dial down his holiness. He's still holy. He's still in a category of one. In fact, I wonder if you noticed um, 25, 20, 25 verse 9, that this is being made according to a pattern that Moses is shown. Make it according to the pattern of the tabernacle. We get the same at the end of the chapter, chapter 25, verse 40. See that you make them after the pattern from which is being shown you on the mountain. The writer of the Hebrews in chapter 8 says that Moses was actually copying a tabernacle that was in heaven, a copy of the, the heavenly things, which presumably is why there's so much detail and so much gold, because this is representing the courts of heaven where God dwells in his absolute holiness. So you see, when someone entered the tabernacle, they came from kind of the chaos of the world that they lived in. They just came from their homes, their tents around. But they came into ordered, detailed space. That would have been your experience as you, you, you came in, especially if you're a priest and you went into the holy place. And I think that is the point, one of the points that is being made to us. 
in the throne room of heaven, there is order. There is detail. It's not like walking into you know, someone's office. You, know, you come into my corner office and you look around. It's a bit chaotic. And you think, how does, how does this guy get anything done? And you, you might wonder. I wonder sometimes. But you, know, you come in, you go into someone's office. And it's not like when you go into heaven, there's lots of mess. There's lots of sort of chaotic papers strewn around the throne room of heaven. There aren't sort of old coffee cups. There's not one of those whiteboards um, where someone's just done a brainstorming session and there are sort of arrows and just loads of question marks because God and the angels really aren't quite sure what they're meant to be doing. It'd be odd if that's the picture we were given of the throne of heaven. It's not like that at all. The tabernacle is ordered because heaven is ordered. Because God is unchallenged in his rule of the universe. In the way he lovingly rules. And even as he comes to dwell, he, he cannot dial down his holiness or his rule in, in any measure. In fact, nor does Jesus, when he comes into the world, he, he doesn't dial down his holiness or his sovereignty at all either. He remains untainted in his moral perfection. And that is... That is the first piece of good news for us from the tabernacle. That, that God is in charge, that he's on his throne, that he doesn't dial down his holiness or his sovereign rule as he comes to dwell with his people. It means if we're facing an injustice at the moment, God doesn't dial down his holiness. He cares. He's not soft on sin. He's, he's holy, sure. He's not caught up in the mess. But he cares about it. You know, it gives us confidence that heaven is going to be heaven. That, that nothing's going to be there that will ever spoil it. God's not going to dial down his holiness in heaven at all and allow evil and impurity and wrong in there. Nothing will spoil our joy there. And God doesn't dial down his rule. There's detail in the tabernacle because God's rule is detailed. And it extends into our lives as we do what's happening in verse 22 as he speaks to us through his word, as we listen and live it out. So there's the first message of the tabernacle for us this morning. It's that God can't dial down his holiness. But that raises a question for us, which is, well, how can God dwell with us, given that we know that we're unclean, given that we know that we sin? How can that happen? And so the second promise of the tabernacle is that sin can be dealt with. Let me read again verse 17 to 22 on page 78 for us. You shall make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be its length and a cubit and a half its breadth and you shall make two cherubim of gold. Of hammered work shall you make them on the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherub on one end and one cherub on the other end. Of one piece with the mercy seat shall you make the cherubim on its two ends. The cherubim shall spread out their wings above, overshadowing the mercy seat with their wings. Their faces one to another. Towards the mercy seat shall be the faces of the cherubim. And you shall put the mercy seat on the top of the ark. And in the ark you shall put the testimony that I shall give you. There I will meet with you. And from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubim that are on the ark of the testimony, I will speak with you about all that I will give you in commandment for the people of Israel. So on top of the ark is a mercy seat. 
That translates a Hebrew word, kaparet, uh, which just means cover. So on one level, this thing is, is just a cover, a, a lid. But there's more going on in that word. That word cover also has the idea of covering sin. So in Leviticus 16, I mentioned this Day of Atonement. You might know that uh, if you have Jewish friends, if you have a Jewish background, the Day of Atonement is Yom Kippur. Yom Day Kippur cover. Day of covering. Day of atonement. And so look, here's a picture just to give you a sense of this. Um, would have been something like uh, like that. It's, it's, it's not. Uh, it's not the original. We haven't just found it. The Raiders of the Lost Ark. Have you seen that? It's not. Uh, it's not in the hands of the Nazis. But um, there it is. There's something that it would have um, looked like with these warriors. They're not sort of cuddly um, cherubim babies. They were warriors worshiping God. Now here's the thing. What is this covering? Covering. What did you notice in verse 21? It's just above those two stone tablets. It's just above the Ten Commandments. It's just above that treaty that God has made with us that the people have signed up to. It's just above the covenant that God won't break, but you and I so often do. It's just above the law with its penalty for breaking it. Do you see what God is saying? God is saying... Even at the point as he gives us his law, he says, I will cover you for your failure to keep that law, for your failure to keep the treaty. And the rest of the chapter makes clear uh, how, chapter 28 to 29, it will be through a priest that God covers our sin. Uh, the priest will, will come to an altar with sacrifices of, of the blood of bulls and, and goats. And God will teach through the tabernacle that to deal with sin, a substitute has to be given. Life, blood has to be spilt. Sin is that serious. God will teach that. And yet when we get to that day of atonement that I mentioned, that day of Yom Kippur, when we get to that day, and it's told to us in Leviticus 16, on that one day when the high priest goes into the most holy place, on the one day when he covers the sins of all of the people for that year, here's what we read in Leviticus 16. The priest shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side, and in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. So God provides a way for sin to be covered as blood is shed on that mercy seat. And friends, when we get to the New Testament, we're told that all of these things that we're thinking about are a shadow of realities. We're told in Hebrews 10 that actually the blood of bulls and goats, it, it, doesn't, it didn't actually remove sin because bulls can't swap in for humans because they don't sin, humans sin. And so a human was needed. And so the Bible says the God-man Jesus Christ came. And when the New Testament writers describe his sacrifice, his blood, his swap, they do it in an intriguing way. So Paul in Romans chapter 3 says that God put forward Jesus as a propitiation for us. And that word propitiation is actually the, the word that is translated elsewhere for mercy seat in the New Testament. It's the word hilasterion. And in Hebrews chapter 9, that same word is, is described mercy seat. And so do you see, Jesus Christ is presented as the true 
mercy seat as the place where his blood atones for our sin. His blood covers us. Time and again, as we're in the book of Exodus, we see the shadow pointing to the reality. Jesus Christ is the true and better Passover the Lamb, the true and better water from the rock, the true and better tabernacle, the true and better ascender. And here is the true and better mercy seat who covers our sin. Have you ever had someone say that to you when you go to a restaurant or something? They say, I'll cover this. It's a great moment, isn't it? It's a great moment. What do you do? You say, yes, thank you very much. You have a moment? We had that recently with friends. Said at the start of the evening, we'll, we'll cover this. It's on us. Just hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for these friends. Fantastic. Not sort of hanging over your head as you're eating the meal or wonder if we're going to split the bill later. Told up front, right at the start, so you know, so you can enjoy it. We'll cover this. And here is the God of the universe, you see, and he says, I'll cover you. I'll cover you. I'll cover your sin, your, your, da- your debt, your, your lack. I'll cover your, your, your failure. And he does so at the very place, do you see, at the very place where we sin, where the law finds us out. There at that point, God meets us and covers us. And friends, all of us need to hear that after the week that we've had. All of us have sinned. Some of us, we're here this morning and we're just so weary of sin. We're so sick of it. We come here cold-hearted, another week of weary of just being a failure. And we need to hear again. The message of the tabernacle is that God covers our sin in the Lord Jesus Christ. At the very point of transgression, there he covers us with his mercy, which is his very heart for us. And God wants us to leave here knowing not just the sin can be dealt with, but now as we look back as New Testament Christians, that it has been dealt with fully and finally in Jesus. So there, I think, is the second message of the tabernacle. And here is the third. The third is that there is a way home. One of the things that we don't spot as we read these chapters, but that an Israelite would have, are the number of references that there are to creation or to the garden in Eden. So, for example, in these chapters 25 to 31, Moses doesn't speak at all. God speaks. And guess how many times he speaks? Seven. It's often the right answer if this is a guess the number in a Bible. It's usually one of those, three, ten, seven. In this case, it's seven. Seven days of, six days of creation, and then it ends with Sabbath. This section, if you flick forward, chapter 31, page 86, it ends with Sabbath. Seems there's some sort of mirroring going on here. Six days of creation and then, and then a Sabbath. That's one little clue. There's, there's lots of gold. And um, we heard in our reading, um, chapter 25, verse 7, uh, onyx stones. In, in Genesis 2, you get a lot of gold, um, precious stones. Onyx is mentioned there, so there's, there's another clue there. Chapter 25, we, we, we didn't uh, read it, but you can have a look. Um, let's look at it together. Page 79, the lampstand is described. Let's see how it's described. 
And verse 31, you shall make a lampstand of pure gold. Um, the lampstand shall be made of hammered work. Its base, shall, um, its, base its, its stem, its cups, its calyxes, those are sort of little buds, and its flowers shall be one piece with it. Um, verse 33, little cups made like almond blossoms. Hang on, I thought this was a lamp. Sounds a lot like a tree. Well, I remember the garden? Uh, there, was a, there was a tree in, in its middle. Uh, and kind of the picture, the idea behind the tree in the garden, there's a, there's a picture of it. The idea behind the tree in the garden was that we were meant to live before the light of God's face. That was the beauty of, of, of Eden. And so here it is again, the, the light, the, the, the tree. In fact, in chapter 27, verse 21, the priests are told, one thing you must do, just keep this lamp burning all of the time. Just, just tend to it from, from evening to morning. It's one of the jobs of the priest. Just keep the lamp burning. And this lamp would have been set up as you came into the most holy, into the holy place. It would be on the left-hand side and it would be set up so that it would cast its light on what was opposite. And so your gaze would be taken opposite. And on the opposite side was the table that we had read about. And um, on the table, there was, there was the bread. We read a bit later, and the bread was um, tw- 12 loaves. So 12 loaves for the, the, the tribes of Israel. This is a dining table. So you've come into this holy space. There's light. There's a tree. There's a table set for, for Israel. What's God teaching us? I am not a God who comes to take from you. I, I, am, I am not a God who comes to starve you. I am the God of abundant provision. I, I provide for my people. And again, it's an echo of, of what Eden was like, a place of abundance in Eden. Do you see, these are echoes of home. You come into this sacred space, you're reminded of, of Eden and the creation Look, I don't know if you ever had the experience of you, you come home late. You know what it's like. You come home late one evening from work, or you've been uh, you've been out, and and you kind of wonder: Will anyone be in? Um, you know, it's the, you, you maybe think back to growing up, and you've been out, and your parents are there, and will they have waited up? Will there be a light on in the window? Will will there be you know a meal waiting on on the table? And the message of the tabernacle is that God's at home and the lights are on and the welcome is waiting and there's food on the, there's food on the table and God's enticing us home. And, and really the picture of home is at the heart of the Bible. We were at home with God, but we've been cut off. We, we set off wandering east of Eden. That's where the people went. They went off east of Eden, we're told. And now God invites us back home. He saves a people from slavery, but not just to tolerate us, but to be with us, to be around us, to be in us, to dwell with us, because he, he loves us. And that's the, that's the thrust of these chapters. I've read um, verse 8 already. Let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. We get the same thing in chapter 29, verse 45, if you want to turn page 84. So chapter 29, uh, verse 45 I will dwell among the people of Israel and will be their God. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of the land of Egypt that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. Do you hear the heart of God? God wants to dwell 
among his people. He hasn't just saved us um, for nothing, just into a vacuum. No, he saved us for relationship uh, with him. And he wants others to know that too. That's the, the idea of I am the Lord their God. That's been all of the way through his missionary purpose. And that is why I think it's, um, it's helpful for us to understand that the tabernacle would have been right in the heart of the, of the people as they set themselves out. That sometimes you see these pictures, I've shared one already, that kind of looks like the tabernacle was just in isolation, just sort of in the desert on its own. No, no, no. It wasn't on its own. It was right at the heart of God's people. God's in the midst of his people, not because he's lonely, but to resource them, to protect them, that they might enjoy him. The tabernacle is the way back. It's the door. It's the portal from earth to heaven. And when we get to the New Testament, we're told in John chapter 1 that Jesus came to make his home with us. Verse 14 of John 1 says that he dwelt with us. And the word, the idea behind that is that Jesus tabernacled with us. He came to dwell uh, amongst us as the temple of God, as the holy place, the most holy place where you and I meet God is Jesus. He is where sin is dealt with. He is where God dwells. But there's one further echo of Eden in this as we draw things together. Maybe you know this, that as as the people entered uh, into the tabernacle that have come into the court, um, as they traveled in, they would have been heading west. Okay, that way, isn't it? They would have been heading west. You entered from the east, and so notice, they're heading towards where Eden was. When we left the garden, we headed east of Eden. So now we're heading west. We're heading back towards God symbolically. You would have come through, the priest would have come into the most holy place. It would have been dark. On his left is the lamp. On his right is the table. It, 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 it looks like we're on the way home. It looks so promising. But right in front of him was a curtain blocking access. Home was so close and yet so far away. And for centuries, there that curtain stood. And the echo of Eden in, in there is, is in verses... Um, 35 of, uh, of, the chapter, uh, of chapter 26, let me just read it, it just says that um, on the curtain um, you shall weave cherubim skillfully woven in. And then you put the veil between the holy place and the most holy. And so on it are woven these, these cherubim, as I said, not babies but, but warriors. And the warriors, the last time we saw them was Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, where when the people were thrown out of the garden, God put in chapter 3, 24, cherubim, blocking the entrance back with swords flashing back and forth, saying you cannot come back in because of your sin. You are blocked out. And so as you come to this curtain, there it is. You can't go any further. The cherubim are saying the way back to Eden is blocked. You can't go in. Access denied. And that curtain hung for centuries until, until. Listen to Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, just on the screen there. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The curtain was ripped. 
The cherubim were torn down. The way to God through Jesus is open. The way is open to home and Jesus is the way and the only way. So that Hebrews chapter 10 says, Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is his flesh, let us draw near with confidence. So you and I in Jesus come all of the way in, into relationship with God. We have access to God in every way. We don't have to go on a complicated pilgrimage. You don't have to try and rebuild a temple in Jerusalem. You don't have to beat yourself up or go on penance. You and I through Jesus come all of the way in. And so the Christian sitting in their chair praying to God has more access than the believer and the priest at the temple. And so as we close, if you have put your trust in Jesus, if you're sitting here as a Christian uh, this morning, then remember your true home. God has brought you home in Jesus. You've come home to God. And although you will spend much of your life and much of this week trying to create home here with all of the frustrations of it, remember you have come home to God in Jesus. And one day, fully and finally, you will be part of the day when God turns the whole cosmos into his dwelling place and sanctuary. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, or if you know that you're far from God today, the message of the tabernacle is come home. Maybe you've left home and maybe you've lost a home. Maybe you've never had a home or you're trying to make one. God says to you, come home. The lights are on. There's food on the table. I want to eat with you. The famous song that goes like this, there's a way back to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is open. And you may go in. At Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for Jesus, the true and better tabernacle and sacrifice and curtain and priest. Thank you for the access that he has won uh, to you, to your home. In his name, amen.